Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Manxiety Podcast. We're your hosts, Ashad and Matt. Before we get started, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you can get notified of new episodes. If you want to share this with your friends, you can find us on all podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This week, we'll be talking about, you guessed it, finances. I know last week we gave you guys a little bit of a break to, you know, uh, just change it up a little bit so we didn't feel monotonous. Um, But this week, we're back on our last finances episode, I think. I think it's the last one. Maybe we'll do a different one. But for now, this will be the last one. Uh, And as we've mentioned in the previous episodes, we will be talking about credit and investments this week. Woo! Yay! Make money or lose it very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) More likely lose it. Yeah, depending on what you invest in. This is not investment (laughs) advice, by all means. Yeah, yeah, I eat crayons. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, It's it's weird to do a um, four-part series. Because typically things are in a trilogy, you know. They're so not. You, no, yeah, like a lot of movies are a trilogy, right? No, this is a quadrology. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? Like now, now we're getting in a Fast and the Furious status, and we need like twelve more finance episodes to match them. You know, it's like fi- it's finance five, yeah. <laughs> Where, where's too, your, too where, fast, too finance. <laughs> it's it's the bulging budget. You're uh, I don't know, you're uh. It's like you're just yeah, whatever. Yeah, now now it sounds like you're making uh, uh, porn video uh, movies or something. The bulging budget. Hey, do you want to see my budget? Yeah, my. You want to see my four hundred one k? Yeah, my my parents helped uh, help me max it out because they own the company. Yeah, I don't know. I don't uh, know how you would turn four hundred one k into. That was talking. very very weird, Matt. Please, <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to cut that part. <laughs> that was. A little bit too much for our listeners. But anyway, getting back to investments and uh, and credit. Uh, this morning, I, well, I guess, woke up. And uh, this morning, we'll just say this morning. We're recording a day in advance. So this morning, I woke up. And I opened up my investment app. And everything was red. It was so sad. <laughs> everything was red. And, you know, you have that moment of panic where you're like, should I sell? Should I get rid of everything I have because it's falling? What will happen to all my money? And then you realize that you haven't lost anything till you sell. And that's how investments work, kids. You hold. You hold till you get to the moon. Yeah. And uh, actually, a, a real quick example of that was like early on, um, me and some coworkers, like, you know, we're using Robinhood and we bought... Uh, I forget what the company was, but it was like a bunch of like weed stocks because it was like just put on the market and like they were seeing a huge increase in them. So like we all bought in on this one and it was something like $30 a share, right? Uh, I think it was like CGC or something. It was like 30 was bucks a Aurora share. Cannabis? No, it's 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 a different... I, I, don't, I don't remember. I, I don't think it was Aurora because we bought in that one too. That one tanked. Uh, but you know, whatever. Like we, we bought it. It was like 30 bucks, you know, just a couple of shares. And then... It started going down. It went down, 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 down. And then like two years later, uh, somewhere around the time of like this year, it recovered. So I just held it because I was like, I don't need the money right now. So I held it and then it recovered. And as soon as I made like a dollar on it, I was like, all right, just sell the shit. <laughs> like we're done. I don't need to hold any longer. I have officially turned a profit. Let's go. Um, 
Well, you made money. I mean, why would you sell at that point? What if it went higher? Because it was like rubber banding, and I just caught it when it was uh, up. So it's nice. just one of those things of like, you know, investments are something that can kind of be nerve-wracking once you're at that stage in your financial journey. Because like Ashat just mentioned, if, if you're looking at your app every day, every minute, oh shit, it went up, it went down. Do, do I sell it? What do I do? Really, a, a lot of them are going to be structured in ways that just set you up for long-term success, right? And you shouldn't check it every day or every week, maybe once a month. And like I do the same thing, like I'll, I'll check my accounts like all the time. You know, I try not to, but it certainly is something that like you have to realize over a long period of time, you're gonna hopefully see positive growth year after year. And when you you know look at the um, like the five year or ten year graphs on a lot of stocks or uh, mutual funds, you'll see that over time they typically do tend to trend upwards, even during times of recession. And those types of things, which is good because that means your money is, you know, eventually worth more. But those little dips in between can be very scary. And, you yeah, know, I think it. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Still saying something. Yeah. yeah, I think it comes down to sort of the same way we talked about in the last episode, right? Of milestones and sort of setting goals. It comes down to your goals with investing, right? You know, the, there are there are people who invest <clears throat> whose goal is to make money in the short term, right? Quick money in the short term. And, you know, you might day trade or you might uh, do some more riskier plays in that case um, uh, to, to make money today, right? Like day traders will be on, you know, on their trading app all day as soon as the market opens till it closes. And what they're looking for are the small ups and downs, right? They want to catch a stock when it, you know, goes down a dollar and they want to buy it. And then when it goes up a dollar, they want to sell it, right? Like they want to, they want to play that game where, you know, the, the small fluctuations make them money. But if your goal is more like long-term growth, well, maybe you invest in something and you leave it there and you don't touch it for a long time. I mean, you know, I think a good example is, uh, that someone's brought up was like, if you had bought a stock of Apple when the iPhone was first released, instead of buying the iPhone, right, for the same price, that stock today would be worth, like, $100,000 or something. I don't know, some some stupid number, right? It's, like, exponentially more, right? And it's, like, again, it, it goes back to your, your goals, right? If your goal was long-term growth, then you would buy it and you would leave it. You wouldn't touch that, that stock of Apple, let's say, for, you know, 15 years. And 15 years down the line, that stock very likely would have made you a lot of money, which which it did for a lot of people. And I mean, like I personally, you know, I have some investments that are long term. So I've put money in them. I'm, I'm not touching them at all. Uh, I, I don't even like I've never even considered selling them. They just they sit there and they just continue to grow. And I have other investments that, you know, I like to play with, right? Like sometimes you just I don't know if you're interested in the stock market, you want to go in there, maybe you, there's a new company that you like, or you think a company's going to do well, you buy a little bit or whatever it is. And you might, you know, trade that, you know, within the week or within the month or whatever it is, sort of like a short term play um, versus a long term one. Um, and then there's obviously other stuff that people do, like options trading and margins and buying on margin and there's a million different things in the stock market, shorting and longing and all kinds of terms that I personally don't completely understand either most of the time. Um, something that's big today is, um, 
is short selling that's been in the news because of some of these what they call meme stocks, right? Which are like GameStop, Bed Bath and Beyond, uh, BlackBerry, AMC, where big companies are betting that the company that the stock price can go down, so they're shorting the stock, and regular people are sort of trying to fight against that and buying more into it to drive the price up. And that, I mean, still investing, right? But it's very, very volatile. <laughs> you have no clue what's going to happen, right? The price might shoot up and the price might completely tumble down. And when it comes to that kind of investing, that's, I don't know. I feel like, again, you got to look at your goals, right? Make sure that you're in a financially sound place before you put up money into something as uh, as volatile and as um, as risky as that. Because that's neither that's neither like day trading nor long term stock holding. That's something that falls <laughs> completely outside of the realm of both of those things. That's the biggest thing I feel with investments is that you do know that we kind of caveated this earlier by saying that traditionally, you know, they're going to go up over time, right? When you look at previous history, that doesn't mean that's always going to be the case. You could invest all your money tomorrow and then it crashed like it did in 2008. Uh, it crashed w with COVID. It could be that you invested all your money in Bitcoin and it crashed like it did in 2018, right? Even though or it's in a company and the company went bankrupt and all your shares are literally gone. There's, you don't have any money. Yeah. So there's all these ways that you can lose money on investments. And the thing is, you know, you want to make sure that you kind of have taken, you know, the previous kind of steps and advice that we've given you, right? You know, have a budget, you know, figure out how much you need to save, set aside money for an emergency fund, and then kind of have this as money that you're playing around with to grow into your future. And if your future is just to retire when you're, you know, 65 or 58 or whatever the age for uh, what is it like 59 and a half right now for 401k um, you know if your goal is to uh, retire sorry at a certain age then you know you can do something that's going to be more stable long term or the younger you are typically the more risk you can have in your portfolio because you can have time to recover if things drop or if you have a housing crisis or COVID or these types of events happen you know you just need to realize that there will be ups and downs in that and you know it's more for like future you so certainly you know making sure that you're in a good place financially and then deciding what like a shot mentioned what your goal is and what level of risk you're willing to take on to reach that goal yep and i mean like matt said there's a reason we <laughs> waited to talk about investing and credit till the end of our series because the other things we talked about, all of those things should be set before you start considering this. Now, of course, there are exceptions. There are people that, you know, live and breathe investment and that's their job and that's all they do. And whatever, if that's if that's your life, if, that, if that's what you want to do or if that's your career and that's what you do or you enjoy doing it, maybe this stuff doesn't apply to you. But generally, you should have budgeting and savings and all you know your job and everything lined up before you get into investing because there is a very real chance that you will lose some or all of your money and you know that's uh it's unfortunately the the way the game is played right you, you need to uh high risk high reward right or as uh, they say on the streets 
scared money don't make money. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what the streets are saying these days? <laughs> That's what they're saying. Um, and and to echo that with somebody who has anxiety, right? That's what the the general theme of the podcast is about is helping you get through those fears. It can be very scary to invest. It can also be very scary because you hear about tons of people losing money. But there's also, you know, more stable investments that you can you can take an opportunity to spend your money into, such as, you know, bonds versus, you know, stocks, right? More uh ETFs and mutual funds, which are going to be kind of more stable to just track the overall health of the market versus individual stocks, right? There's money market accounts. Yeah. So there's different ways to do things. And again, it just depends on your goals. Like we're not here to give you financial advice. We're not here to say this is this is better for you or not better, right? You can get a financial advisor. You can talk to somebody specifically about your goals. It's just to give you a purview of how to view it through the lens of both financial experience and taking away some of that anxiety that you may have when getting into it, right? The, the first time I invested, it was very scary because I'm like, I'm going to open up a, a what account, like a brokerage account. Okay. How do I make sure my money's going into it? How do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? And uh, a quick story was at, at my current company, um, you know, we have 401k and we're vested from day one. So I, if I contribute on my second day of work, you know, I'm going to get that match bonus. I didn't contribute for maybe six months because I just didn't know what to pick. Because they give you all these options, right? It's like, do you want to do the the blue chip? Do you want to do the small cap? Do you want to do the large cap? Do you want to do the large growth? Do you want to do the blend? And you're looking at going, what? The, I need to research every single one of these things. Oh my God, I know nothing. And then you start researching it. And then you can read like the the term sheets that they give you. And next thing, each one of those is 30 pages. And next thing you know, you're just you're just so overwhelmed with it. So what I did was I was talking to my coworker about it. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I made a bunch of money on my 401k. And I go, dude, I don't know what to pick. Can you help me? And he sat down with me. And he said, this is exactly what I have. He's like, I got 30% in here, you know, 40% in here, and another 30% in this one. And I said, I'm just going to do what you did. And sure enough, you know, I was able to make a, a good return rate that year because I just picked something that somebody else did, but it, it got me in the game. I was at least contributing something. And with a 401k match, like if a company is, is matching, right? Um, let's say, you know, I contribute 6% to make the numbers easy and they're going to match 3%. So they're giving me 3% of whatever my total compensation is, kind of free money, right? They're like, hey, we're going to put it in your retirement for later for you. So the thing is, if you don't take advantage of that, you're you're kind of behind the game because you're putting in six, but you're really getting back nine. Yep. So it, it can be really helpful to, to build little bits of incremental wealth. And of course, you know, you may say, oh, well, I can't take out my 401k until I'm, I think it's, I think it's 59 and a half still or 58, half, think, right? Yeah. 59 and a half now. It, it changes, right? But there are ways to borrow against it. There's, there's, it's just one of those things where it's a, it's a tax advantage account, which means that you're, if you pick a standard versus a Roth, there's all these considerations. But if you just have like a standard 401k, it actually, because it's a pre-tax deduction, you're going to get taxed on it once you retire. And once you take the money out, you actually don't pay as much in taxes upfront, which is helpful because then it's like, yeah, I'm paying less money in taxes and I have less money, but it's also going to retirement. So it helps you save a little bit more and take advantage of that system that's in place for you to be able to have money when you do one day retire, if you can retire. So it, yeah, that's it's, a good point. If if your company matches, I mean, I, I know sometimes it's hard, right? Like some of us work jobs that we need every little cent that comes and we need to put it all towards paying off our bills or taking care of our families or whatever it is. 
but again it's it's free money and if you can at least put the minimum in there um you know it's it's going to help you in the long run uh no but if, if for example like matt said if you need to put in six percent so that your company will match you know up to three percent that's usually how it works where they'll where they'll say you know you need to put in x amount and we'll match either all of that fully or half of that um you know if you can do it i would highly recommend doing it that's one of the easiest way to to make more money right to grow your wealth but going back to what you said before about the first time investing i mean i i remember that too and it's it's scary the first time you do it right because you don't have experience doing it but (laughs) the first like stock you buy right and you you go in i remember when i did this i had some money in savings you know i you know i had some budget set up and stuff still had some student loans but you know, uh, I wasn't putting that much money into investing anyway. I just wanted to see what it's all about. Uh, so I bought a stock and then I sat there watching it. And I think as soon as I bought it, like it dropped like two cents or something. I'm like, damn it, I lost money. <laughs> I was just sitting there like, damn, should I sell? What should I do? Am I going to lose more? I mean, you just don't know uh, because of, you know, just lack of experience. Um, luckily, I, I I kept it. Uh, and turned out well because uh, that stock is now worth a lot of money, but uh, not not as much. I'm I'm not rich or anything. It's just I didn't put a lot in there to begin with. He, I wish he, I had. He went from five dollars to ten. He made a hundred percent profit, go. and he yep. he's and then he bought a house and a Maserati. <laughs> no, but that that's really how it is. Or you know, another example is my uh, my company when they were going public, we had an employee option, and again, similar situation. I. At the time, I didn't have a lot of, money, a lot of money saved up. I had some, right? I had my emergency fund, but I didn't have much. I was still paying off student loans. But, you know, I, I worked at the company. I knew it was a good company. I, you know, I had a good feeling that it was going to continue growing. So I put uh, some of that money into, into buying company stock uh, when it was offered to us as employees. And, you know, it's something that I've held on to because, again, sort of working at a company... You, know, you get a sense of uh, whether it's a good company or not. If it was bad, I would have left already. And so I've held on to it and it's grown. And that's sometimes what you have to do with investing is find a company that you like, that you believe in, and and go at it that way. Um, and the other way is, I think I might have mentioned it last time, uh, we, we did this uh, activity when I was in high school as a part of our... Uh, academy of finance program that i mentioned before where you know we we were given a mock environment right to invest and we were able to invest a certain amount of money into stocks that we liked and then we were given a secondary mock environment and there were a number of stocks put on a board and we threw darts at it i think we threw like four or five darts at this board and whatever stock ticker landed on we had to buy you know uh, uh those stocks in the secondary mock environment and then we compared the two right and saw how they did and well turns out that the random one did just as well as the other one did <laughs> so sometimes it is just a crapshoot right sometimes companies just end up going up and some of them go down but most of the time if you're doing long-term investing if there's a company you believe in i think that's probably going to be your best bet yeah, I mean, most companies, their goal is to make profit, 
right? They want to increase profit every year. They want to continue to grow and expand. And if they're not doing that, then yeah, the stock price may be stagnant. And if you, you know, work with a financial advisor, a lot of times if you have like a 401k option at your work, they will give free financial advice uh, from wherever your holder is. So like if it's through Fidelity or Schwab or if it's through like a local uh, credit union or something, usually they have kind of like advice where they will give, you know, just like a quick 30 minute session with you. And that's somebody's job, right? Their job is just to say, what are your goals and what do you want to do? Okay, invest in this and this. They kind of walk you through the process. And that that can certainly be really helpful as well. But definitely if it's something that, you know, if it's a company you believe in, like I, I did this in um, my senior year of high school. I think Google was $400 a share. And I was like, everybody should invest in Google. Oh my God, Google is the best, you know, all this stuff, right? And then within the next like six months to a year, whatever, when I checked it again, Google was at 800. Now me oh. in high school, I didn't have $400, right? <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have any money. So I, I couldn't invest myself, but I was telling people like, oh, you should invest this, right? All this stuff. And you know, long-term, most companies are going to grow. And even if you do like what Ashot mentioned, where it's just kind of, you throw a dart at the wall and say, let me invest in this one. It'll probably still grow. And if it doesn't, and you're monitoring it, you know, not every day, like we said, but you know, you're following up and inquiring if it's going up, if it's going down, if it's going sideways, you know, you could say, okay, it's time to sell this and use the money in something else. But at least you yeah. know that the money is primed in a way to help your future. Right. Um, you know, it's when we talk about investment, it's very different from like an emergency fund because it's not just sitting in a bank account liquid. It's something that you probably don't need and you're just sitting off to the side. So, you know, it's kind of the end game of most investment. I think uh, I saw this quote where it was like the the lower class spend money, the middle class saves money and the wealthy class invests their money. Interesting. You know, and that's kind of like if you don't have money to invest, you have to spend it on, you know, food and shelter and all those basic necessities. And then you get to a certain point where you're just like, well, I need to save money for a house, for a car, for whatever. And then there's a point when you're kind of beyond that. And you're like, well, what do I do with my money now? Okay, let me invest. Some people will just buy a boat. I know a lot of people that bought boats. <laughs> <laughs> really? I have, a, I have a couple uncles that like bought boats, but they live, you know, not so close to ocean. <laughs> but, uh, interesting. but they'll, you know, take an eight hour trip some somewhere. Lakes. Yeah. yeah you know I, but that's the thing like if that's what they want to do and they set up for it i'm all for it i think that yeah. you should live your way or live your life sorry in a way that makes you both happy but also is like um productive right and that's what we're gonna talk about next which is credit which it's kind of a double-edged sword because credit can be very good you can use credit to get uh you know a zero percent credit card where you're able to maybe buy yourself a couch but you know you're gonna pay it off in the next six months right or it can be very bad where you buy yourself a couch you don't pay it off in six months and now you're paying you know 20 to 30 percent on this two thousand dollar purchase that you made yeah sorry but before we get to credit something i want to mention about investments is diversifying uh which is important because uh if you invest if you put all your eggs in one basket right and that basket gets stolen well you just lost Assuming you had 12 eggs, all 12 of your eggs. But if you put two eggs in one basket and three in another and four in another, right? And then you put the last three somewhere else. Well, now is, if one of those, what? Is, is this an Easter joke? 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> Easter is coming up, so I am trying to use uh, <laughs> Easter baskets and something funny. Anyway, if one of them gets stolen, right, you've only lost two eggs. And what if someone uh, put some extra eggs in some of your other ones? Well, now you've gained two eggs there, right? So maybe you still have 12 eggs, even though one of your baskets got stolen. And that's sort of how diversifying is, right? You put investments in different places so that even if one of them goes down and another one might go up and you might balance each other out, uh, that way, let's say the whole stock market goes down, right? But you've diversified and you've put some money into bonds, some money into stocks, um, some money into, I don't know, um, money Maybe market gold, accounts, yeah, gold, yeah, Bitcoin, actual, whatever, exactly, you know, whatever you want, whatever it is. If one of them goes down, chances are another one is going to go up. Because traditionally, that's how it's worked, right? If stocks going up, bonds usually go down. If bonds go up, stocks go down. Uh, there's there's a little bit of a uh, of a counterbalance there, so you can uh, you can at least you know counteract some of the. Uh, some of the plays in the market anyway with that said going back to credit you're completely right credit can be a double-edged sword if you don't know how to use it correctly now credit card companies know this right they know the benefits of credit but they also know uh the the uh the drawbacks of it right so what they do is as soon as you turn 18 maybe younger now, maybe 17 now, uh, something that you'll realize is that you get very, very popular in the mail. You get like a million credit card applications. Like, seriously, right after you turn 17 or 18, they just start coming. They just start throwing them at you. And they're like, hey, here's a credit card. Here, free $500, free $1,000. Go and spend your $1,500. And, you know, if if you have no... Uh, uh, knowledge about it. If you have no experience with credit, you're like, hey, they're they're giving me free money, right? You you have no clue how credit works. So you go and buy something, and then you give them your card because you don't have that much cash to buy it, right? And then at the end of the month, your bill comes and you're like, oh yeah, I bought that thing. Hey, I only need to pay forty dollars, right? I bought a fifteen hundred dollar purse. I only pay forty dollars. You're like, I can afford that, so you pay forty dollars. That's the minimum. Next month comes and your minimum is still $40. You're like, oh, hey, yeah, that $1,500 purse, I can still pay $40. So you still pay $40. And you keep doing that and doing it and doing it. And then you realize that you've paid, you know, $2,500 for this $1,500 purse because you were only paying the minimum. And that's what these credit card companies are banking on, right? That you'll pay the minimum, that they can charge you interest, and that they can make money off of you. Now, it's the worst case. And a lot of people fall into this, right? That I know plenty of people who went to college or like straight out of college, just in a bunch of credit card debt. Hell, I was in credit card debt when I was younger. Um, and it wasn't because I was just going and randomly spending money here and there. It's because even though I knew some stuff about credit and about finances, um, I, ju- I just didn't know enough. So when I was in college and I started getting student loans, I thought that loans were bad, right? And I was like, well, I don't want to get too many loans. I don't want to get too much on my, you know, that I have to pay back after college. Hey, there's this credit card company offering me some money. 
why don't I just use my credit card and like just pay it off little by little? Uh, again, at the time, wasn't really thinking about this. Where the credit card that I had used to buy stuff in college was charging me 20% interest. But the loans that I didn't have to pay at all <laughs> until I was out of college were only charging me like 4% interest. So I was getting charged five times more interest on my credit cards, right? And again, it can it can be very stressful uh, being in that situation, having all this credit card debt. Uh, you know, you start feeling anxious, especially about money. You know, you might go out to eat somewhere with some friends and start feeling anxious about it. Or if someone invites you out because uh, you don't want to spend any money, right? You want to save your money because you have credit card debt. And then you don't go out with them or you feel self-conscious, um, or maybe you uh, you know, wanna go shopping because some of your friends wanna go shopping or to the movies or whatever it is and you don't do it because you have all this financial stress and financial anxiety. So it can lead to a lot of negative consequences, right? But if you're smart about it, you can, you can use all that in, in a more positive way. So, I mean, at some point in college, I realized that, hey, what I'm doing is wrong, right? I sat down, I was like, all right, I need to pay off all of my credit cards first because they're charging me too much interest. I need to get more money out of student loans because I need the money, right? I just didn't have enough. So I need the money, but I'm gonna, it's going to be less for me. So I, I was working at the time, put all my money towards it, paid off my credit cards, got more student loans. Then when I graduated, you know, started slowly paying off my student loans too. I was able to get out of, uh, of, of credit card debt or loan debt. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you make a plan and you execute on it, you, you can get out of it too. It just, it takes a little bit of time. Uh, it takes some, some figuring out. So if you need, uh, you know, someone to talk to uh, credit about, you know, if, again, if you're working, your workplace probably offers some sort of financial advice or advisor or something that you can use. Uh, I know my workplace, um, I found out they have a program that it's not through our 401k, but it's through a different program that our HR department goes through where we can get, I think it was the same 30 minutes every so often to talk to, um, talk to a professional service provider, right? And what that means is that this person can be a lawyer, they can be a financial advisor, they can be any number of things. We have 30 minutes to talk to them about whatever we want. So let's say I, I don't know, starting a company or had some litigation against me, I have 30 minutes to talk to a lawyer about it, and they'll give me some advice. Similarly, when we were planning on buying a house, I had 30 minutes that I, uh, I, I you know, scheduled to talk to a financial advisor about my financial situation, buying a house and whether it was the right move to make at the time. So, you know, talk to the experts, talk to someone that knows, and, you know, together you can come up with a plan to, to get out of any of that debt. Now, outside of the bads of credit, there's also a lot of positives about credit that a lot of people don't know about. Now, my wife, Andrea, she didn't have her first credit card until she started dating me and I, I had to force her to get a credit card, right? And <laughs> it wasn't an aggressive forcing. It was just a, uh, you know, 
we need to build your credit because if we're gonna start a life together <laughs> yeah you, you need to have good credit you just mailed her a letter every day right open this new credit card open this new credit card get your a shot bucks <laughs> you're a shot express no, the credit card companies were already doing that <laughs> i had to sit her down and explain to her why credit was important what to do with the credit card how to use it and then you know slowly got there so why is credit important well first of all there's nothing anything you want to finance right whether it's a car whether it's a boat whether it's a house if you want to get a loan for your business even if you want to get a loan to consolidate your debt right because there are loans where you can consolidate all your credit card debt and all the other debt into a single loan with a lower percentage uh, interest rate so that you can be paying less. All of those things require credit. And the way that you build your credit is by uh, having a credit history, right? One of the biggest things is having credit cards, having loans, whatever it is, and not being delinquent on them, having low balances on all of those things, right? Uh, And finally, not having too many inquiries right you don't want too many people checking your credit because it just looks bad now there are other factors to your credit but i think those are some of the bigger ones and the way you do that first of all the history is by having credit card early on and using it right so i got my first credit card when i was 15 and a half and i was lucky enough to be in high school in my academy of finance program where we had a program with the local credit union that allowed us to get a credit card with, you know, parental or guardian sponsorship um, at at 15 and a half, which is way before most people can get a credit card. And even though the limit was low, I think my first credit card, it was a $200 credit limit. You know, I was able to get it. I was working at the time. So I started using it. I and I only use it if I spend $200, I put $200 aside to pay for it. And that that's how you work your credit, right? To be able to build credit, but not have to pay extra. You pay off everything you owe at the end of every month. And that way you're not ever paying extra, but your credit history is showing all of your on-time payments and you're continuing to work your credit. Now, the other benefit of credit is that when you go to purchase something, right? Um, of course, if you use cash, you're not going to have a problem with this, but there is fraud, right? There are people out there that are trying to get your credit card information, your debit card information, whatever it is. If you're using a debit card and someone steals your information or does fraud, you're not covered. Your bank's not going to cover your money in most cases, right? But if you're using a credit card, it wasn't your money to begin with, it was a bank's money, so they cover credit card pur- any kind of fraud that happens on credit card purchases up to a certain amount. So that's something else to keep in mind is that you're more protected if you use a credit card versus using a debit card. So if you're using a debit card today for all your purchases, I would highly recommend rethinking that, getting a credit card if you don't have one and using the credit card. Hey, if you want to keep track of your money, as soon as you do that, log into your bank account, transfer the exact amount into your savings account. So at the end of the month, you know you have enough to pay for it. But at least this way, at, at a bare minimum, you're protected from, from fraud. Now, the next part is credit rewards, right? 
and sign-up bonuses and all of these other things, right? Now, credit cards aren't the only ones that offer sign-up bonuses. Savings accounts and some checking accounts do too, where they'll tell you, hey, if you put X amount of money into your account, we'll give you $200 in three months, right? So that's free money right there. So if you're thinking about opening a new checking or savings account, look out for those offers. You know, they might say, hey, put $500 in your savings in this new savings account and don't touch it for three months and we'll give you $200 more. Or, you know, open up a credit card, spend $1,000 within the first three months and we'll give you $150 in statement credit, right? It's free money out there for you. Uh, and if you were going to get a credit card anyway or open a savings account, then you're getting an extra benefit from it. But also all those rewards that I was talking about, right? You know, getting 5% here, 7% there, 2% back from whatever, those can really add up. And again, as long as you're paying it all off at the end of the month, it's it's free money. And you, you may think that it's not very much, but you know, when you're spending, let's say $1,000 a month on groceries and you're getting 7% back, you're getting $70 back per month. With that $70, you can go out and get yourself a nice steak at a steakhouse. Obviously, tip and wine and stuff aren't included, but the steak itself, you can pay for the steak for free. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. If you spend more than $1,000, hey, maybe you get more. But, you know, you you get free money. Matt, would you ever turn down free money? Uh, No. Yeah, neither would I. And that's the thing, right? You got to maximize your rewards. You got to let your money work for you. I use credit card for, I'd say, 90, 95% of any kind of shopping that I do, right? It's it's always credit card. And all of my credit cards, I, I th- there's a there's an app called Card Pointers on, on iOS that you can use on your Apple Watch too, where you add all the credit cards you have, and it'll tell you all of the rewards that you have for each one. And all you have to do is when you go shopping, right? Let's say I'm going to the grocery store. I open up my card pointers app and I click on groceries and it tells me which card I should use to get the most points. If I go to the gas station, I click on gas, same thing, wholesale clubs, home improvement stores, whatever it is. And this way I'm, I'm making more and more money, right? Um, and with that money, you know, I think last year in credit card rewards, I probably got like, Maybe like six hundred dollars, right? It's like, it's free. Like I, I did nothing for that except swipe a card, which I was gonna do anyway. But by maximizing my points, I'm able to make so much more money. And then you can get into like all of these other cool things, right? Like, uh, there's this thing called a Chase Trio. I know I'm getting very excited talking about this stuff because. I don't know. Anytime, you know, you, you save money, you use credit. When I tell people about this stuff, it's very exciting for me. It's called the Chase Trio. So what you do is you go and get a Chase Freedom Card. You get a Chase Sapphire Reserve. And you get a Chase Inc. card if you have a small business, right? So what happens is your Chase Freedom gives you 5% on certain things every quarter, right? So you use that one for those certain things. Your Chase Inc. card gives you, I think it's like 3% on all purchases or something, for especially for your business, right? So use those two cards to get as many points as you can. 
And then Chase allows you to transfer your points over to other cards. So then you transfer all those points you just got over to your Chase Sapphire Reserve card. Because with your Chase Sapphire Reserve, when you make reservations for travel, your points count as one and a half times. So every dollar counts as a dollar fifty, right? So if a, if I had a hundred points, I could buy a hundred and fifty dollar flight. So then now I've taken all of the points that I just got for free, and now I'm getting one and a half times more free stuff with those points, right? And and a lot of credit cards also give you other perks. If you have a Chase Sapphire Reserve, you get uh, free access to a whole bunch of airport lounges. You get uh, 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 free uh, insurance, travel insurance. You get baggage uh, protection. I think you get free check bags on some airline. Like, there's just there's so much out there. You get uh, was it like two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars in travel credits that you can use for Uber, Lyft, Airbnbs, things of that sort. And that's for free, just for having the card every year. Um, so again, you gotta look into this stuff and maximize. Uh, maximize your use of it because again it's it's letting your money make money for you it's it's playing the game right but you're playing it the right way two very important things i i want to mention one i believe the sapphire reserve card has an annual fee so if you are looking into credit cards to maximize your benefit if you're at that stage um, do not be afraid to pay have something with an annual fee because as a shot mentioned, the benefits can be really, really good. And you can, especially if you're traveling a lot, you might get huge benefits. So you're, you're covering that fee almost immediately. That's um, a good this, point. Thanks, and Matt. the second thing I want to mention is um, it's somewhat implied here, but it's not really uh, explicit. I think we should be a little more explicit is when a shot is saying that he's using his credit card about 90% of the time to pay for all these things, right? Like he's paying his utilities on credit cards. He's doing all this stuff to maximize his points. He's doing things that he normally has within his budget anyways. He's not doing things as far as I know, like, oh, I'm going to go buy a, a $5,000 jet ski because if I buy this jet ski, I'm going to maximize the amount of points I get. So he's already spending what he would normally spend. He's just putting it on credit and then paying those credit cards off every month. So he builds his credit history, right? Um, he lowers his utilization because your credit utilization matters a lot for your score. So what that means is if you have a hundred dollar limit and you're, you know, you have $80 or a hundred dollars on your credit card, you're using a hundred percent of your credit limit, which is very bad. Right. Whereas so, if you have a hundred dollar limit and you, you know, you pay it off every month and you have $0 at the end of the month, your credit utilization is at 0%, which is very good. Right. So a lot of times you can do that when you open up a new card, they'll give you a, the um, maximum allow allowance, right? So if your allowance is like some cards, they'll give you like $15,000, your spending limit, right? It's such a high spending limit. Now, the risky thing is if you go, well, let me go buy a 15, let me buy three jet skis, right? <laughs> that can be very risky because now you're at that 100% of that card. But because your overall spending limits you and you're only spending your monthly expenses, maybe it's like $1,000 or so, $1,000, $2,000, your percentage is lower, which is good. Yep. So with that, it's you're doing things that you're already going to do, right? When you, go, when you go and you pay for gas, a lot of times there's like gas cards you can get that like will give you, you know, 10 cents on every... Uh, gallon or something right and a lot of times it's because you can use the card for something else 
and it's that double-edged sword of if you forget to pay it off or if you um, don't manage it properly, you can get hit with these big fees or like a lot of uh, you interest. Know, interest debt. So definitely something to keep up on. But you can tell how excited the shot is to talk about it because he's getting a benefit. He's at the stage where like, you know, he's already saved up a bunch of money. He's already gone through those steps that we talked about previously. Now he's like exactly what he said. How do I maximize my money to make money for me? Right. Yep. So he knows that he has to pay for gas. So when he pays for gas on the credit card that gives him the best, you know, 5% back for at Chevron. Right. He goes, well, I'm, I'm getting that money back that I can then spend on my next uh, trip to some somewhere. Right. Yeah, and the then, points. And again, it may not be much, right? Five percent back on fifty dollars is only two dollars and fifty cents. Right? If I spend a hundred dollars per month on, on gas, that's only five dollars per month I'm getting back. But you know, after ten months of doing it, my eleventh month, I'm gonna get one free tank of gas that month, right? So you gotta think of it that way. Again, it's the long game. But those were all good points, Matt. I, you know, when I said that I'm using all my credit card for everything, I'm I'm using it for everything I was gonna pay for anyway, right? Uh, I'm I'm not using it to overspend. I'm not spending above above my means. I'm still staying within my means. I'm just I'm doing it in a way that's going to maximize my, you know, my money, my profit. Um, yeah. But sometimes it is okay to carry a balance. You know, we are saying that, hey, high utilization is bad, this and that. But in some cases, it may not be bad. So perfect example. I just bought a house. You mentioned it already. And this is becoming a very long episode. (laughs) Just realized. Anyway, I just bought a house, right? And I think I mentioned last time, during that house buying process, I needed to buy a whole bunch of uh, appliances and stuff for the house. And now I could have paid for it all, right? But I still wanted to keep some money in my bank account just in case an emergency happened, just in case something happens. I didn't want to completely drain my savings account. So what I did was we went and got a 0% APR card, right? That's going to be 0% APR for the next 18 months, okay? That's a year and a half where I'm not paying an extra cent on any money that I leave in there, okay? So we did that. I think they gave us a credit limit of, let's say, $10,000. I don't know if that's what it was, but say it's $10,000. Now I went and put all of my appliances, right, on this card. And again, you can look at, well, should I have put it on a different card that would have given me, you know, uh, more rewards or whatever, whatever makes sense for you. For me, it made more sense to put all of my appliances on this card not have to worry about it for a year and a half, more or less. So we put all of them on there. We're only paying the minimum right now. And again, another thing that I said is bad to pay the minimum. But again, I'm not getting charged any interest. So I'm paying the minimum. I still owe the same amount that I would have anyway, because there's no interest being charged. And I'm able to put more money into savings, which is now making me, I don't know, my savings account is at 0.6% right now, I think. So I'm, I'm making money right now, right? By paying the minimum on that card, letting the balance sit out there, even though it's affecting my credit score a little bit, since I'm not planning on buying another house anytime soon, or a car, it doesn't matter right now. Again, this is the long term. I'm putting that money into savings, which is gaining me, you know, 0.60% uh, 
on top of my money. And so I'm still making money. And I'm making the minimum on my card. And, you know, once we get closer to that time, I'll have the money saved up to pay for it in my savings account. And I'll just completely pay it off before I have to pay any interest. But again, there are different things you can do with credit, right? Getting these 0% APR cards, you know, getting the sign-up bonuses. Sometimes there's a balance transfer cards, right? That'll give you 15 months, no interest on balance transfers. So if you have, if you are in a situation where you have a lot of credit card debt right now, right? And you're feeling anxious and you have, you know, financial anxiety and you don't want to go out. You don't want to do this. You don't want to spend whatever. It's causing you a lot of angst. You know, look into a, uh, a balance transfer card. And what that allow you to do is transfer your balances over to this card for a small fee, usually about four or five percent. And, you know, you may be thinking, oh, no, I have to pay more money. You do. But the money that's sitting there that you're paying 20 percent on, I guarantee you you're going to be paying more on that money before you pay it off, especially if you're in a bad situation right now. Then you are going to pay if you put five percent right now, transfer it over to this new card and give yourself some more time, some some breathing room, right, to be able to make enough money, to save up enough money to pay for that. So, again, credit can be can be a beautiful thing as long as it's used in the right way. And yeah. it can save you a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. It can also cause a lot of anxiety and stress, but it can it can definitely save you a lot of anxiety and stress too. Yeah, having credit debt is typically perceived as bad because typically there's an interest rate associated with it. But in the example Ashad just gave where he took these purchases, right, and he put them on 0% interest, well, you know, if he, even if he puts his money, like he said, in a savings account where he's getting like 0.6%, 1%, something, he's coming out ahead. So if you put a big purchase on a 0% interest credit card and you have 18 months to pay it off and you know that you're going to be making all the payments, right? You put it on auto auto pay and you're set and you take that money and maybe you put it into an investment, right? So let's say you put it in like Apple stock or something, right? And within those 18 months, that stock goes up 5%, right? Then you really made 5% on that money that the, that they were holding on for you. So this is why you know, banks, anybody who's giving you an offer, um, it's because there's a benefit for them, right? A credit card company will say, hey, if you open this credit card and you spend $1,000 in the first three months, we're going to give you 300 bucks. You go, wow, you're going to give me 300 bucks for free? It's because they know that 80, 90% of people, when they make them that offer, they're going to get trapped under like, oh, I, you know, I, I forget about it or I'm just going to do this card. And, you know, I, I have, I now I have spend debt. my means, right? Yeah. Or yeah, I'm, I'm going to go buy a buy TV. That new, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like you said, or like a Prada bag or something, right? Like I'm going to buy this new, yeah. this new, uh, you know, bag for a gift and then not realize that they're going to be paying more in the long run, which is why they're able to kind of consistently have these offers for, Hey, here's 200 bucks. Here's a hundred bucks for opening this. Right. So, there is a benefit for them, right? Same thing with banks. When we talked about like how banks work, where it's like, you know, you put your money in the bank and they take that money and loan it to other people. So they're giving you 1%, but they're making 5% because when you, when you know, they're loaning it to somebody who's buying a house at 5%. So ultimately they're making money, right? But if you can play, if you can learn the rules of the game, you can play the game. And if you're playing the game and everything goes well, right? There's still, you know, you can lose money with investments. Shit happens in life, right? Emergencies come up 
but you can certainly get ahead of where you were before by doing these things, taking advantage of, of credit card offers, taking advantage of these different things, right? And the higher you build your credit, the more offers you're going to get and the better offers you're going to have, right? And the better rates you're going to get if you're buying a car or a house or whatever, a boat, a jet ski, who knows what you're going to do. So it's certainly something that once you learn about it, it, it can be difficult to jump into, right? We, we threw a lot of facts at you. You maybe have to go back and rewind like, oh shit, what did they say in this one? What was this card they mentioned? What was this? But at the end of the day, the more you can learn about it and how to maximize your money and make your money work for you, the easier you're going to have, like, and, and the easier things are going to be for you and also the less stress you're going to have. You know, right out of college, and Shot kind of mentioned this as well, like, like holy shit, I owe all this money for student loans. I, I owe this money on credit cards. I don't, I'm not making very much money. What do I do? How do I pay it off? What order do I do it, right? It's super overwhelming. And as soon as you can tackle it and, and get ahead of it, now you're going, well, shit, I can afford that that steak dinner or I can afford to go with my friends, right? You're not, you're not worried about it as much. And then, you know, you can kind of use your money to invest and save and help yourself or you can help your family and your friends and your community, right? You can give, you know, the more money you make and the more money you save, the more money you can donate to a cause that you strongly believe in. Yeah, so definitely. It's, it's certainly something that... Uh, can be scary at first, but if you take the time to understand it and to kind of get advice and dig deeper, then you can definitely get ahead. And that's that's what we want is everybody to just kind of be financially sound. You know, we hope that you are you're budgeting and you're making money and you're saving money and you're using your credit card wisely and all this stuff, right? And if you're not, you know, use the tips and tricks that we gave you throughout these episodes to kind of just think about it. You know, it can be scary, but you know, it's it's like if there's the boogeyman in the closet, right? And you go in and you finally open the closet door and say, hi, Mr. Boogeyman. Uh, oh, I see that, you know, you have real fur or something, right? Or whatever, whatever the fuck the boogeyman is. <laughs> and, you know, then you make friends with the boogeyman. It's not that scary, right? You, you're like, oh, yeah. Frank's actually a really nice guy. I fucking love Frank. <laughs> Frank. Frank's the dopest monster under my bed ever. But if you avoid it forever, it just starts that fear grows and grows and grows in your mind. And then, you know, you just never going to tackle it and then you just don't even look at the bills when they come in and then it's hard to get out from under that definitely yeah i I just thought of this but you want to go from credit card love companies loving you to them hating you because i can guarantee you that credit card companies hate me and they hate me because i haven't paid interest in years i've paid zero interest i've gotten rewards right I've used their money to pay for things, but I've paid zero interest and they, they hate me. I can guarantee you that right now. But they used to love me because I used to pay them a lot of interest. So uh, that's that's my advice to you. Go from credit card companies loving you to credit card companies hating you. <laughs> and I think we'll end it with that. Thank you all for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this four-part uh, quadrology, as I'm calling it, uh, about finances. Um, you know, again, financial anxiety can be hard. We hope that some of what we've talked about helps you, uh, you know, alleviate that stress, manage it, manage that anxiety and, you know, come out better on the other side. Uh, until we talk to you guys again, stay safe, stay healthy, make smart financial decisions. <laughs>